0: All right, let's go ahead and get started. Page 139. You can keep your seats. With the twinkling of an eye, shaking page 98. King
1: well, if you want to go to that land, say amen. 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 Good to see all of you tonight. We appreciate you being here. Uh, let me make a few announcements and we've got some serious praying that we need to do tonight. Um, as far as the announcements go, don't forget this coming Sunday night is Youth Night. And our youth will be doing the service and looking forward to that. So you pray for our young people that God would really use them this Sunday night. Um, also, March 11th, Men's Top Golf. And then March 18th, the Southern Savers Coupon Class. Uh, but don't forget our revival with Brother Bud Stilton coming up. I'm looking forward to that meeting and looking forward to brother bud being in with us hearing of a lot of meetings going on around our area here lately and thankful for what the lord's doing in in all of them and i appreciate it so much as far as our prayer requests go tonight this month this is march the first and uh welcome to the to the month of march the wind will start coming in now get your kites out and start flying your kites and all like that but Um, This month, for our pastor's prayer ministry, we'll be praying for Brother Barry Goodman and Faith Baptist Church. So when you do pray in that regard, remember Brother Barry Goodman. He's a dear, precious friend of mine, and uh, we, we need to reach out, reach toward heaven on his behalf. So, but on our prayer list, let's pray for Miss Peggy Phillips, Brother Warren Vickers, Diane Bennett, uh, Brother Mike's mother, and uh, how is Brother Warren doing tonight? He's
0: headed in the right direction, They're
1: getting better. Okay, good. Um, Jeremy Remillard and James Wilkerson, how about your prayer request tonight? Anybody else? Uh-huh. Anybody else? No. Yeah. yeah, we need to really pray for Linda Carson, that's Leon's wife. When we were down in, in Waycross, uh, Leon and Linda were down there at the meeting also, and Linda came to the meeting, but she was had to be admitted into the hospital. She's had a major battle with cancer down through the years, and but she wound up in the hospital while we were down there with her and uh, wound up. Having to go to a specialist doctor. But we need to really pray for Sister Linda. That God would be with her and touch her. Also let's be praying tonight. Let's pray for Brother Stacy Roberts and their church. Uh, God's been really moving up there. He said that I've been talking to him. He said he's not calling it revival. But God's been saving some people. And and moving up there in a special way. So we want to be sure to pray for Brother Stacy and his His meetings that he's having. I understand that three got saved last night. One of them was Miss Hannah. And uh, thankful for what God's doing up there. Um, Any other prayer requests? Yes, ma'am. And Who? Anyone else tonight? Anything else on your hearts tonight that we need to pray for? When we come and pray tonight, let's really pray that God would continue moving in all of our hearts. I appreciate what the Lord's been doing here lately. And... uh, Appreciate those that have been saved and, and what God is doing in all of our hearts personally. I want I want more of what God's doing in my heart. And so let's pray for one another. But let's really pray for Peggy Phillips and Warren Vickers tonight in a special way. Just just be just concentrate on them that God would uh, do a work in their hearts and, and in their lives. And so let's gather around these altars and let's pray together tonight. If you need a Study sheet, they're up here, and also don't forget your mission offering. Sure, mighty pretty tonight. Y'all can't help it though, I know that. I I understand all that stuff, you know. Y'all just get up and there it is. Amen. All right, let's look at our study sheets together tonight. We're going to be covering, we're going to enter into Acts chapter number 10 and be looking at some things that that, uh, Peter's going to be learning about. And it's a good lesson for every one of us. And uh, thank you, Brother Chris. It's a good lesson for every one of us to learn what Peter learned and, and pray that it would sink deep in our hearts tonight. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin, and then we'll look at our study sheets together. Heavenly Father, tonight, Lord, we do love you and thank you for loving us, Lord, the way you do. And Lord God, in Jesus' name, we're asking you to move in a special way tonight in all of our hearts. That God, you would please, I keep thinking, going back to what little Zach said the other morning in his devotion. He said, you've got to read the scriptures, look at it, and apply, see how it applies to your life. And Lord, may we truly look at what we're going to be studying tonight and see, ask our, all of ourselves this question, how does it apply to our lives, my life? And Lord, may we not only know it and hear it, but Lord, may we live it out. I sure love you and thank you now for everything that you do in our hearts and lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And all of God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Let's look together at this study tonight, beginning in Acts chapter 10, verse number 1. The book of Acts is a special book within the canon of Scripture. Its placement at the end of the four gospel accounts is vital and it is important to understand why it is positioned between those accounts and the Pauline epistles. When the New Testament opens, most readers fail to realize that the Old Testament is still very much a reality and in force. The New Testament does not begin until Jesus Christ dies on the cross. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 through 17, we read about that. It says, "And For this cause He, Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator speaking of jesus christ for a testament is a force after men are dead otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth up until the moment jesus died the old testament was the prevailing covenant with all his sacrifices and offerings but when jesus was offered as the lamb of god for the sins of the world He became the mediator of the New Testament and the Old Testament was replaced with the New Testament. We read about that in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 and 7 where the word of God says this. But now hath he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Which was established upon better promises For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Speaking of the Old Testament vanishing away, being replaced by the New Testament. This is a very hard thing for a Jewish person to understand and believe. Not only was the New Testament instituted, but it also it was also included the world of the Gentiles. This complicated things even more so among the Jewish people. In the Jewish mind... For the Old Testament to be replaced by the New Testament and the way to God open to everyone was heretical. God had a lot of work to do to convince and convey this new way to the Jewish world and the Gentile world, and it would not happen overnight. That is what the book of Acts is all about. It gives the historical account of Jesus working among his original band of apostles and teaching them, along with others, this new way. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, we read about this new way uh, in these verses. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We have the completed New Testament books in our hands. The disciples didn't. We read them, but the disciples wrote them. They had a lot to learn as the New Testament opened to the world, and they would be the instruments God would use to make church history a reality. Chapter 10 is one of those major transitioning chapters, and his study is rewarding and inspiring. First, we want to consider the memorial of Cornelius. We read about that in verses 1 through 4 of Acts 10. Where well, the Word of God says this, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour, that would be three o'clock in the afternoon, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Kind of obvious way to greet somebody. It's just amazing to me that an angel knows Cornelius' name. There he is. Hey, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. The city of Caesarea was located on the Palestinian coast and was mainly populated by Gentiles. It was a thriving seaport, and that was also the headquarters for a large regiment of the Roman army. The city was developed during the reign of Herod the Great. It also was the source of the largest supply of water that fed the Jordan River. The most interesting thing to note about this city is that this is the area where Jesus made his most Famous prophetic statement concerning the church he would build. We read about that in Matthew chapter 16. Where Jesus. It says when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. That's where Cornelius is at. He asked his disciples saying. Who do men say that I the son of man am? And he saith unto them. But who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said. Thou art the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. At the very place Jesus prophesied the building of his church, We witness one of the greatest outreaches with the gospel into the Gentile world recorded in the Bible, Acts 10. (coughs) This is no coincidence, but rather a divine act of God. The church began in Jerusalem, but now it is reaching out into the areas (coughs) that God has in his heart to reach. The gospel is moving out. (coughs) Excuse me. The gospel is moving out into the Gentile world. In the city of Caesarea, a certain man by the name of Cornelius lived. He commanded a band of a hundred men in the Roman army known as the Italian band. (coughs) Brother Navarre, would you go get me a little cup of water? Thank you. (coughs) He commanded a band of a hundred men in the Roman army known as the Italian band. This was a designation that described not only their citizenship, but also their special abilities as soldiers. Historical accounts claim this band of men made up a specialized unit who were trained archers and they guarded the seaport against incoming threats. Cornelius is noted in the Roman world as a centurion, but in heaven... He is noted and memorialized as a devout man who feared God with all his house. Three things initially highlight this man's life. He is a man of faith. He was devout. He was one who feared God. And he was a family man. It says he feared God with all his house. Even though he was a Gentile, the Jewish God Jehovah had called his attention as the true and living God. His fear of God. Not only penetrated his. Thank you so much. Let me see if you do good with that. Let me see. I'm a connoisseur of water. Oh yeah. Yeah that's pretty good. <laughs> Get with me. I have service and I'll teach you how to really make some more. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> where are we at? Even though he was a Gentile, the Jewish God Jehovah had caught his attention as the true and living God. His fear of God not only penetrated his soul, but he also taught his family as much about this God as he could discover. At about 3 p.m. on a given day, Cornelius has a vision. And in this vision, he sees an angel of God. The angel calls him by name and informs him that his prayers and generous giving... Had reached the heart of God. God remembered all the good things. Cornelius had done among the people. And the prayers he had prayed so faithfully. Were also remembered by God. This lost Gentile man. Had arrested the attention of heaven. It is amazing to study. The times throughout the gospel accounts. When someone would touch the heart of Jesus. With amazing faith. And most times. They were Gentiles. This is one account that is amazingly similar to the account of our text. In Matthew chapter 8, we read this account. It says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, just like Cornelius, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come, shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go and he goeth. To another come and he cometh. And to my servant do this and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it. He marveled. This is an amazing thing about this Gentile centurion. It says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. The faith of this man just caused Jesus to stop and take note and say, wow, this is some amazing faith. It said, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Do you know what that centurion had faith in? He had faith in the word of God. Jesus speaking the word of God. He told Jesus, he said, listen, I'm not worthy for you to even come under the roof of my house. But if you'll just speak the word, he said, I also understand authority. He said, I say to this one, go and he'll go come to this one, come and he'll come. He says, I understand you've got power to command things to happen. And he had power. He had faith in the spoken word of God. (laughs) And Jesus said, my, 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 what kind of faith is this? And he was a Gentile. The man mentioned in Matthew was also a centurion, which is a commander of a hundred soldiers and a Gentile. He had the faith to believe that Jesus could and would heal his servant. That's where we bog down a lot of times in our faith. We know that he can, but would he? We know that he... Can, has the power to, but will he? But see, this man knew that he could and that he would. Jesus is moved by the faith this Gentile demonstrates and makes the statement that his faith excelled the faith of those living in Israel. The Bible describes our condition as Gentiles before we were saved. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, where the Word of God says this, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, these these men that we're reading about, these Gentiles, that describes the condition of these men. And here they are in front of Jesus expressing faith to them. And now Cornelius' name has come up for a memorial into the throne room of God. Yet the faith demonstrated by these men moved God to act on their behalf. Faith transcends all dispensations and is the common thread that pleases God throughout them all. And we read about that in Hebrews eleven six. 6. Watch this. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. These men have expressed their faith with diligence that rewarded them with God moving on their behalf. Faith is the one thing that God watches and looks for in our lives. Everything He does in our lives is an attempt to increase our faith in Him. Whatever we may experience in our life is designed to grow our faith. If it is a certain situation consuming our lives, it is designed by God to increase our faith. If it is a family matter, if we respond toward God, it will increase our faith. If it is a matter of forgiveness, God will increase our faith to respond correctly. The disciples understood the need for their faith to be increased when Jesus taught them about true forgiveness. Jesus said these words to his disciples one day. He said, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day... Seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. I love the response of these disciples. <laughs> and the, the, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If I've got to repli- re, uh, forgive this bum that many times, you better do something in my heart, in my faith, if I'm going to have to forgive him that many times. I love these apostles. They're so They're so human. And so like every one of us in this room. Can I get a witness right there? The faith we live by is not the same as the faith of everyday living. We sit in a chair with faith that the chair will hold us up. We trust our car to crank, get us from point A to point B. That is everyday living faith. But the faith that God recognizes is the faith that is founded in His Son. My life verse. Galatians chapter 2 verse number 20. I love this verse of scripture. And I'm reminded of it. uh, Just over and over and over again. I committed it to memory years ago. It says I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life. Listen to this. I love these words. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you realize we have the faith of Jesus on the inside of us? And he says, that's the kind of faith we live by. What kind of faith is that? His faith raised him from the dead. (laughs) Glory to God. I mean, that is some powerful faith. But yet we sit around, Lord, if it be your will, God, I just don't know what we're going to do. And we got a God who created the heaven and the earth. and We got a God who moved everything just to get you saved. Woo! He loves you that much. Amen. <laughs> I'm about to get happy just thinking about it. That was, that was the memorial of Cornelius. But now we want to look at the message for Cornelius out of verses 5 through 8. It says, and now, he's speaking to Cornelius now. This angel is. And he says, and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Cornelius is a lost man needing salvation. God knew his heart and his responses toward God thus far have demonstrated a conscience that can be moved by God. He was a good man, a praying man, and a man who feared God, but he was lost. There are a lot of people like that in life. They're good people, but the goodness of a person does not save them. And the problem with goodness is that it is easy for good people to trust their goodness. They are not bad people, and they do a lot of good things, but when someone trusts their goodness... That is sinfulness. Jesus gave an illustration of someone who was exceptionally good but trusted in their goodness. In Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14 we read these words. And he spake a parable unto certain which, look at this, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. But smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man, this sinner, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. But he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Cornelius has such a sensitive conscience toward God. That he immediately sends a team of three men to Joppa to search for Simon Peter. Cornelius needs clarification in his life. He had been watching the Jewish worshipers as they attended the synagogue. And had been a student of the Jewish religion for some while. He prayed, he fasted, he gave alms. If there's anything else he needed to do, he was willing. God is faithful to send gospel witnesses to those who respond with a conscience toward God. Previously in chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch had been to Jerusalem to worship God. On his journey home, God sent Philip to tell him the good news of Jesus Christ. The eunuch responded to the message and got saved. Now, Cornelius needs further enlightenment And God is faithfully putting the pieces together. Peter is being prepared prepared as well as Cornelius. And the two will meet later. For now, Cornelius is following the Lord. And this seeker will find him. Cornelius is doing his part. And God is doing his. (laughs) And we read about this. Some beautiful, wonderful words out of Jeremiah 29. Verses 11 through 13. The word of God says this. For I know. This is God speaking. For I know the thoughts that I think. toward you saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace. And not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me. And ye shall go and pray unto me. Just like Cornelius has done. And I will hearken unto you. Watch this. And ye shall seek me. And find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. I read about this text in Acts chapter 10, and I'm reminded of so many down through the years, good people. One of them, my wife. I got saved at the age of 29, and the first thing I did was ask Debbie, I said, Debbie, are you saved? She said, yes, I'm saved. And she was a good person. She was... Uh, I told our youngest son, Matt, came to be with us for a little while. We finally got to celebrate Christmas with Matt. And uh, he came last night and spent the night with us and left sometime this afternoon. And I told Matt, I said, Matt, if you ever find you a wife in life, get you one like your mom. Good woman. But my wife was lost. She had uh, gone through some things as a little... Uh, Young girl and thought that that was salvation, but it wasn't. And she didn't understand the gospel, didn't understand why Jesus died, didn't understand sin, didn't understand any of that. But a preacher told her, you're saved now. So she hung on that for years and years and years. I got saved and Christ entered my heart, got in our home and uh, began doing a work in my life. And she saw a change made by Jesus Christ in me. And she started looking at that and and seeing the reality of real salvation in a person's life. And long story short, after God working, I mean doing, doing, putting the, you're talking about putting the pieces together. Arranging this to happen. Arranging that to happen. And bringing every bit of that to a head, what was the date, dear? August ninety one, and it all came to a head when my wife finally realized she needed to be saved. A good person, but had never, never had a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, and she got born again by the good grace of God. Uh, that's that's what God is doing in Cornelius's life. He's a good man. He prays. He gives. He does all kind of good things, but he's never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. But he's about to get one. But now, the scriptures go into they leave Cornelius for a while, and they go and they go into the life of Simon Peter, and we want to look finally at the making of Peter. It said, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel (coughs) descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, uh, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Peter is an amazing disciple. He is always named first in the list that named the original disciples. And his life is highlighted throughout the New Testament as no other disciple. His faults and his failures are recorded for us with such honesty and openness that it is easy to find comfort from this man's life. When we get to heaven, I'm sure Peter will find comfort also in knowing that his life benefited so many of God's people. Remember Peter's original commission given by the Lord. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, the word of God says this. These 12, speaking of those original disciples, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, now this is their commission from Jesus go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They were limited. They were, they were, uh, a fence was put around their ministry. And Jesus told them, said, don't you go outside of these boundaries. You go only to the house of Israel. Now remember, this is ingrained in Simon Peter's life. Peter had been in the ministry for a long time now, as long as anyone, but there were still lessons for him to learn and classes for him to attend. And Peter is about to attend one of those classes. About noontime, Peter was praying and he became very hungry. He fell into a trance, heaven opens, and he sees a large sheet knit at the four corners being let down in front of him. In this sheet are all manner of unclean animals and creeping things. The Lord speaks to him from heaven and instructs him, rise, kill, and eat. Peter's response was, not so, Lord. Those words don't go together. If he is Lord, you don't tell him no. (laughs) I love Peter. I just love this man. Peter explains his answer with a very Jewish response. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. In this instance, Peter is obedient to the law, but disobedient to the Lord. The Lord would never tell Peter to do anything wrong, but Peter knows it to be against his Jewish upbringing. The Jews had been given a very strict dietary law that was observed by all. Peter was being very honest and very lawful, But remember, the book of Acts is a transitional book. The law could not save. It acted as a schoolmaster. Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The Lord was using the law to teach Simon Peter a great lesson about Jesus Christ. The animals represented the Gentile world that Peter is about to become a missionary to. Up until now, Peter is strictly Jewish in his ministry. But the Lord is going to broaden his mission field to include Gentiles also. It will be a hard lesson for Peter to learn. But as part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Peter must learn it to continue his effectiveness. Peter is told not to call anything that God had cleansed common or unclean. The lesson is repeated there three times, and then the sheet is received back up into heaven. As Peter watches the sheep containing unclean animals rise into heaven, he must have thought about heaven receiving unclean animals. Peter will never reach others until God had reached him. The lesson is well learned by Peter and later he gives the meaning of the vision to a group of Gentiles who are gathered together. In Acts chapter 10, we'll bump into this verse again later on in our study of this chapter. This is what Peter said. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation." But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And he's standing in a house full of Gentiles when he says that. The gospel is now opening its doors to the Gentile world. And they will be saved just as the Jewish converts have been saved. Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom. And he is using them to unlock the gospel to both Jews and now Gentiles. Jesus told him. Told Peter this, he said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The first key was used on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem among a Jewish crowd. Peter opened that door. Now the second key is in the lock and about to turn to open the door to the Gentiles. Well, what we're reading, folk, do you understand what we're reading? Is the history of how we got in on salvation. This is some of the most exciting stuff we've ever we've ever read in the Word of God. This is how God brought everything together to where you could hear the gospel and be saved by the grace of God. Whew. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love. I'm reminded of in this story of Peter where he tells. Uh, the lord not so lord he says i've never eaten anything un, unclean or common and he and he's referring to the law and he and he's referring to his jewishness uh the other, this past sunday when what's her name sydney got saved we were, we were over top a jewish lady and this is what she said she said i'm afraid if i trust this thing this man called Jesus, that I'll be I'll be turning my back on everything I've been taught as a Jew. And I said, Oh no, you'll not be turning your back on it. You'll be fulfilling everything you've been taught as a Jew. Why? Because all of that law that they're being taught is a schoolmaster to point them to Jesus Christ. <laughs> and when she accepted Jesus, She became a converted Jew. Amen. Amen. Any questions over what we've covered?